McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to PA Forecast episode 98. Well, it's convincing win for the Blues and promotion is back on. Joining me on the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Not too bad, thank you, Hugh. Lovely to be here as always, buddy. How are you doing? Mate, I'm good actually, considering we're in lockdown, but it's probably because of two factors. Pompey winning against Charlton, which we're going to discuss in a minute, and that 9-0 drumming of the scummers by Man United. I wasn't sure if we were going to bring that up and, uh, you know, if we were too highbrow for that, and I'm very relieved that we're not, and uh, we can enjoy every second of it. I'm glad to hear you bring that up, mate. Highbrow, definitely not, mate. Let's be honest. And uh, it's, <laughs> do you know what is great to see? The whole of Pompey Twitter, literally united, positive, loving life, all last night, all into today. Um, yeah, so it's great to see. Had that moment this morning where I woke up, and football can like you know give us and it taketh away. It's like highs and lows. And I woke up this morning and then had a couple of seconds and went, oh, last night was pretty good, wasn't it? Like, 3-1 win against Charlton and then 9-0 win for Man United. It was just a little brief before, you know, the reality of the day sets in. It was good. Yeah, there's only a few feelings in life that are as good as those ones. And we're probably too high, Brad, to mention those in the podcast, Andy. So... Nothing. I'm saying nothing. <laughs> you You crack on with this next segment, mate. All right, so we're going to start off, we're going to kick the podcast off, we're going to review the game against Charlton. Following on from that, we're going to speak to Ben Church, who's a reporter for Swansea. Um, He covers them from an analytics level and does some stuff with the club there, so it's great to have him on the show. And he's going to be talking to us about George Byers, uh, what he offers to us as well. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty exciting interview. And then we're going to go and preview the game against the Green Army of Plymouth. Andy, Charlton, what a win. Not just what a win, but it was a convincing win and a convincing team performance. Yeah, even when we were only one goal up in the second half, obviously you want a second goal as a bit of a buffer or a cushion, but I wasn't stressed at any point. I mean, if you compare it to that game, what was it? Was it before Christmas when, um, yeah, I don't know when it was exactly. It was before Christmas, the return fixture. Compared to that, this was like night and day. In, In that first game... We just couldn't get a foothold in the game and didn't look in it for the entire 90 minutes, really. Whereas, yeah, in the in this fixture at the Valley, Pompey looked more like the home team. They looked in control for the vast majority of the game. In terms of clear-cut chances, yeah, Charlton had a couple. They had the goal. They hit the bar in, in the first half with a, with a good strike. But it was never stressful. Um, and even when they equalised and, and brought it to one all, there was a sort of a could go one or two ways but I don't know it it just felt like we were good value for it over the course of the 90 minutes and we didn't really have a spell where it was complete backs to the wall and there wasn't a spell where we were obviously the second best team on the pitch it was just pretty consistent and and from numbers one to 11 pretty solid I think that also came from the fact that we played two up top but two true strikers up top this time it was quite interesting to see how Harrison and Marquez did up top together but the front four really press from the front and they also we had two outlets up front so instead of having someone isolated a little bit maybe with Marquez playing up front with one of the wide players playing in the middle we had two true outlets up front which basically enabled us to get the ball out quicker to me it looked like you could tell that Marquez and Harrison hadn't played a huge amount together recently there were sort of a couple of times there for being overly critical of the performance if you're trying to pick up on little things there were a couple of times that there was an overlap for one of them it happened on two occasions once each where there was an overlap and the person with the ball 
held onto the ball for too long and the chance went begging. So yeah, you could tell there was a slight bit of rustiness in terms of that fraction of a second. Um, but yeah, exactly. It gave us a bit of variety with the out balls from, from defensive positions and it meant going forward, Pompey were able to mix up how they threatened the Charlton box a bit. Because obviously with Harrison and Mark, we've got two quite different sort of attacking threats in, in terms of their how they're most potent. It was actually nice to see the fact that we we tried the both of them up front. I, I was thinking before the game, maybe we should have got Hawula up front with, with Marquez. I feel like that might have been a better match, but we'll, we'll see down the line how that goes if Kenny decides to play Hawula up front as well. But for the game, I was pretty I was pretty happy with how Harrison played. He did miss that opportunity. Well, I'd say miss. The keeper sort of came across and, and saved it. I think that was a, a spectacular save, but still that needs, that needs to go in, doesn't it? Yeah, but uh, Marquez had the opportunities, didn't he? I mean... I think yeah, both both of them could have scored at least one on a different day, um, but yeah, not gonna you know I'm not gonna pile in on Marquis for any reason. I've made my opinions on that pretty clear in the last few weeks. Same with Harrison. Um, nine, well, maybe eight nine times out of ten, you'd say that one of them would have scored one of their chances yesterday um, that the keeper saved or or that missed the target. But yeah, it is what it is. I mean, they're going to improve through playing together in terms of how they link up, and they're going to have. I'd imagine plenty of opportunities because it's something like it's eight games in 26 days or something this month. I think we've got it's, eight games in Feb. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they're no. going to have they're going to have the chance to play together and sort of get that fluidity back together. No, absolutely. And to be honest, mate, we're creating the chances and we scored three goals. So we're not going to moan about the fact that we didn't put more away. But the fact that we we could have done is actually a positive sign. Yeah. This exactly. We're creating chances for the front two. But one of the things we've spoken about a lot this season is that the goals are coming from so many different positions. So we had this critique of Marquis the other week from uh, quite a few people sort of um, mailing into the to uh, the PA forecast or tweeting saying how we need this big striker who's going to score how many goals a season. But if we're getting goals in general from Marquis, which we are, Harrison need, probably needs a bit more time to hit his straps in terms of consistency. But then we're getting goals from Naylor Cannon scored. We've got goals, you know, that are going to come from Harness. Um, we've got goals that are going to come from Curtis, uh, Jacobs, Williams, and then the centre backs have been scoring on and off as well, particularly earlier in the season. So we're not one of those clubs that are reliant on one player playing up top to score 30 in a season for us to succeed. It's more spread out, and that's absolutely fine. Yeah, it is. And we'll come on to Plymouth later on because they are one of those teams that I'd much rather be in the situation where we are at the moment, spreading the, t- the goals across. And talk about spreading the goals across. Michael Jacobs comes in for Ronan Curtis. He's been out of form. There's nothing wrong with saying that. I think it's fair to say he's not been playing his best football of recent times. Michael Jacobs comes in to the lineup, gets a goal, a good goal. Um, I thought he took that goal really well, Andy, when it came back across the box and, and he hits it. I mean, if it was another player, you might think he sort of just swung his leg at it, but he gets a really nice contact. He directs it into the corner. He knows where it's going, gets a goal, but his all-round performance is pretty good as well. How impressed were you, Andy, with Michael Jacobs? <clears throat> yeah, very. I think, again, Curtis, obviously, as you say, has been slightly out of form. That could just be because of time away from um, the match environment, because obviously he was uh, it was tested positive for COVID-19. Um and for all we know, he could be having a slight effect from that. I mean, human being, there are going to be some residual effects potentially for a few days or weeks afterwards. That is that is what it is. Um, but yeah, rotation is going to be important. Having both him and Jacobs able to play on the left is going to be beneficial to us over the course of the season. That's not rocket science. But yeah, he took his goal extremely well. We've got his foot round to wrap, the, wrap his foot around the ball in front of the defender. And yeah, it's literally unsavable. Keeper on the planet is going to get near that with uh, the power that was on it from the range it was from. And yeah, his his overall play, I think it was him that played the the through ball for Marquis in the first half when the one-on-one was saved. That I've watched that back quite a few times. The, the vision for that ball, it caught both the centre-backs out completely. Um, and it was, yeah, just a lovely ball over the top. So he's contributing more than just goals. He's he's really impressed in signing. So yeah, credit to Jacket for bringing him in. Kenny Jacket actually came out in the press actually to praise him after the game as well. You know, praise his quality. They need to keep him fit, keep winning games, and quality wins games. And that's Michael Jacobs. So it's good to see Kenny coming out again on on that with Jacobs scoring that goal. See if you can give him a bit of confidence. See if you can go on from there. But 
as you said, he came in and played that absolutely you know cracking ball across the could have been a goal for Marquez. That's not something that you usually get from a player who's out of the team for such a long time. Uh, I don't know. I'm just trying to work out if that cracking crackers pun was on purpose or not for Jacobs. No, it wasn't. no? wow, you're doing it without even thinking about it. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Your brain is on another level, mate, clearly. Um it's on a different planet today. <laughs> I feel you there. He's just contributing in every aspect of the game, isn't he? What we want is a squad for the players who can do that when they come into the side. And we're rapidly approaching having that, I think, if you look at, across the the starting eleven now. Yeah, massively. What I wanted to see, Andy, is, you know, we go, it goes one all. Jaden Stockley, curse of the ex-Pompey player, comes in, he gets a goal at the back post, it's a header from a corner. He's one of those ones, he's a good header of the ball. These things happen. We go back down the other side and we, and we score a goal. Tom Naylor, another goal. The man can't stop scoring. Total footballer. Who said he's a holding midfielder at the start of the season? Definitely not me. He, he's one of those players now who he's contributing at both ends of the pitch, in the middle of the play. I mean, we've praised Tom Naylor, haven't we, Andy? enough but you can't stop saying at the moment he's playing great I think the main thing on that was though that he we came back as soon as we conceded and went ahead how important was that yeah exactly I mean first thing referring to like Jaden Stockley scoring I saw a couple of people comment oh I can't believe he celebrated he played nine times for us he has he's no, played for like, Absolutely unbelievable right he's played for about I looked earlier he's played for about 12 different teams in the football league if he didn't celebrate when he scored against there wouldn't be any celebrating going on Nine games. I mean, yeah, to me, I, I would not blame him for celebrating in the slightest. Um, but yeah, in terms of us bouncing back from conceding a goal, it's nice to see that after conceding, we didn't yeah, go onto that back foot. And you you could have made an argument for this being a good point away from home against Charlton. And when they concede to make it one or you try and see out the point. And I'm extremely glad we didn't do that. And it actually opened the game up a little bit more because, yeah, Charlton's pressing a bit for or trying to press for a second goal um, immediately. And it opened them up. Yeah, as you say, Tom Naylor, goal-scoring machine that he is this season. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've, we've talked about him quite a lot on the pod. And I'm, I'm conscious of just sitting here and repeating myself, to be honest with you. But in all facets of the game, he runs, runs it from midfield now really well. Yeah, yeah what else is there to add? Well, I'll tell you what else he's adding. Apparently, he's teaching Andy Cannon how to shoot as well in his back garden. So, um, yeah, so uh, I know it's a bit of a joke online. They're tweeting about it. And Andy Cannon mentioned, I think, it was in a, in a press conference afterwards. But Tom Naylor's been help, helping Andy Cannon learn how to shoot, apparently, which I would never thought at the start of the season that anyone would have been, well, Tom Naylor would have been our, our shooting expert. But there you go. Times change. Andy Cannon scores his first goal in a long time, Andy. I think it's his first of the season, second for the club, I think, off the top of my head. How important is that for Cannon to get that goal and add that to his game, which is pretty much everything else? Yeah, it was a good finish, wasn't it? It wasn't like just a finish, though. It was when the ball came out off the Charlton player. It would have been very easy for Cannon to not commit into trying to win that second ball and stand off and take a more defensive roll up. But other, rather than doing that, he went in for what was probably less than a 50-50, probably like a 30-70, won the ball. And then, as you say, yeah, hit a decent finish. That I mean, again, the keeper is never saving that. In off the post, our corner, he's never getting a hand on it, not getting near it. Um, so, yeah, it was that sort of commitment and drive to actually win the ball back in the first place and then to finish it. And, yeah, like you say, if we can have two centre midfielder players who are contributing goals on top of their their overall workload which has been pretty pretty outstanding over the last few months again it's a good good core of the team to be working in the player around because whether we play 442 4-2-3-1, 3-5-2, whatever those two cms are the, the linchpin of the team um and yeah having the two of them in form and both scoring will obviously strengthen that no matter what formation we play yeah, and we'll come on to talking about George Byers on the interview there and what he can add. But having that depth in the middle behind those two players is pretty outstanding, actually, in the squad. So kind of excited to see that happen. But moving a little bit further back the pitch, I was a little bit worried about James Bolton before he started the game. I was a bit worried about him playing at the back. With Raga, I thought, you know, he looks solid against Arsenal. You know, I did credit him for that in my head, but I was thinking, oh, I don't know, James Bolton and no one quite knew why Rasmus Nikolaisen wasn't out, which apparently um, he was with his, his uh, partner um, who was seeing in a child. I don't know if she's had it or not. Do you? Nope. 
no oh well move on with that greatly <laughs> but um yeah i was a bit worried about james bolton but he actually he played really steady he he looked good he was committed his positioning was very good as well and you know that when you see a defender who doesn't look out of place at the back so you don't think what's he doing there what's going on even from the untrained eye james bolton i thought came in made a really good account for himself, Andy. And what else can I say about him, really? It was, it's one of those good... Before, I mean, Andy's welling up about it because he's so excited about James Bowen. Yeah, I'm having a coughing fit and muting it. <laughs> it's all good. You keep talking for five seconds. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, James Bolton, Raggett, very good. Charlie Daniels comes into the team as well, Andy. What do you think yeah. of that? Um, I think... I'm just going to croak through this. Um, I think on the, the James Bolton front, obviously read that... Freddie Webb gave him an F in his half-season review, which I out thought was order. extremely harsh. And I did How say that to Freddie. I did say that to Freddie before yep. he published it. Go and read um, at pompeynewsnow.com and then berate yep. Freddie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he loves he loves negative comments about his work and 2020 hindsight. So please do that. Um, yep. But yeah, I thought that was harsh from him. And it was nice to see Bolton prove a point. I said before kickoff that um, I hoped he put in a good shift because it would make Fred look silly. And it has, which is gratifying. But as you say, yeah, he looked not out of place in the slightest along uh, alongside Raggett. And they had fairly quiet game, but in a good way. Like if you if you don't notice the centre backs, that means they're doing their job right. It's kind of like a wicket keeper in cricket. Don't notice him, he's doing his job well. Um and I think out of the two of them, Raggett had the more eventful game. It's sort of a combination of being kicked around, headbutting other players in midair. Um yeah, he had more going on. Whereas Bolton was just quietly getting about his business. Daniels looked really solid. Yeah, he's looked good since he's arrived, hasn't he? Putting a bit of pressure on Lee Brown for that starting spot. Um, and I'm going to shut up because my voice is going really, really croaky. Yeah, no, he's done really well from that position. He looks good from the dead ball. I thought it was quite interesting. They played some little set plays where they sort of, rather than crossing the ball first, they did a little pass back and then laid it off for Daniels to cross from a slightly better angle as well and get the ball in. And obviously it didn't come to anything as such, but... It's one of those things. It's another string in the Pompey bow. I thought he was quicker than I thought, actually. I was a bit worried he was going to be slower than he actually looked on the foot speed. I think his positioning, as the guy said to us from the Salad cast and the AFC Bournemouth podcast as well, his positioning was excellent. And the fact that he doesn't then get left out to dry, even though he sort of goes forward at the same time, um, I, I thought really showed the quality he had. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think when we're playing four four two, I think obviously you want that. You want pace and overlap, yep. But I think it's slightly less vital than if you're playing something like a, a three-five-two or whatever you want to call that formation with two wing backs. I think it becomes a bit less important. And Lee Brown has sat in quite nicely this season and done a perfectly good job. And you wouldn't say he's the quickest player on the planet. He's got other. Uh, it's not his primary sort of skill set that he brings to the team. But yeah, Daniels looked quick. His dead ball delivery is pretty good. He had a couple of free kicks that on a different day might have deflected in or wrong-footed the keeper. So he's, yeah, decent from a dead ball, which is going to be helpful as well. But yeah, his performances so far in the Pompey shirt have been really solid. Good way of starting in his, his career with us. Yeah, and you can see, see he fitted in really well with the defence. They're all talking to each other well. Communication was good. I saw at the end Andy Moon mentioned on the commentary, I think it was Andy, that he said that the guys were like high-fiving each other, making a challenge, making sure they kept the ball out and didn't concede and, you know, tapping each other on the back and pumping the chest a little bit. And that's that's really good to see as well. That's the side of a team who really wanted to come back and beat a really good team after two disappointing losses. And you've got to say, you know, we'll criticise Kenny when he's done something bad on the podcast as well, but credit to him for starting a 4-4-2, two strikers up front and setting up to go and win the game away at Charlton. Could have been a difficult one. He could have... You know, sat back against Bowyer's team. He could have flooded the midfield. It wasn't what he did. It worked out. Fair play to the man. It was really good to see how Pompey played the game in a slightly different fashion. I felt like we got bullied a bit uh, in the last time out against Charlton. Prattley should have been sent off in that first game and wasn't. I felt like Pompey lost a lot of the physical battles and the niggly battles and were on the wrong side of freeing decisions because they weren't as savvy with how they played the game. Whereas in this one, obviously Prattley was doing, you know, doing what it would suggest he is and just getting around being a bit of a pain in the arse. And he got booked in the first half, loved Naylor coming in and getting involved after a couple of physical challenges, pushing people. And as you say, Pompey looked up for it, but they did it in a smart way. Being aggressive and being aggressive and smart are two completely different things. And Pompey 
well, the Pompey players balanced that really, really well. They didn't get out-muscled. They were niggly when they needed to be to the extent that Lee Bowyer's come out and said, oh, how Pompey were jumping all over the place and playing to the referee and this, that and the other. And if the manager of the opposing side is saying that, then it normally means they're trying to deflect attention away from what actually happened on the pitch. I think that's what Bowie was doing. manager, didn't we? Deflect, yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's the, one of the classic um, interview options is you complain about the ref. And I don't think Boya could have many arguments about who deserved to win the game on the night. I just think Pompey played the game better. Yeah, they did. And I am really happy with that win. So let's breathe it on. So me and Freddie spoke to Ben Church. He does analytics writing for Swansea. It was a really great interview with a lot of chat about George Bias, what he can bring to the team, why Ben thinks he should be starting in the lineup, expectations, will he fit into the style, and a little bit of chat about Jamal Lowe as well. So here's the chat we had with Ben Church. All right, I'm here now with Ben Church. And Ben, thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. No, it's great. Um, we we don't know that much about George, so it's great to have you on the podcast and really give us some in-depth analysis on what Pompey fans can expect to see from him. Um, all right, let's just get cracking. Let's get straight into the meaty bit. Um, George played for the under-23s at Swansea after arriving from Watford. How did that first come about? Uh, well, this is going all the way back to 2016, so it was a while ago now. I definitely don't think it was through Watford wanting to see him leave. I think Watford may have offered him an extension, but uh, at the time, I think both clubs were in the Premier League. Watford may have been Championship, actually, but Swansea were in the Premier League. He probably saw more of a pathway to the first team at Swansea. It was around the time uh, Ben Davis and Joe Allen had both come through. They both established themselves. They both moved on to Spurs and Liverpool. So they pro- he probably saw more of a pathway to first-team football there. And um, it was probably the style of play as well, which attracted him. I mean, it, it did it did suit him, the style of play, uh, you, you know, pass and move, moving a quickly possession football, that, that is him. So that's basically how the move came about. It was a good move. Yeah, I mean, Swansea actually have a good reputation, don't they, for developing their own players, unlike your neighbours over there in, in Wales and Cardiff, who just seem to poach everyone else's and claim yeah, to Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I'll yeah, yeah. on that one. <laughs> but um, you were talking about Swansea's style uh, with George there. How would you define him as a midfielder then and his style? That's interesting, really. I, mean, I was a bit surprised, to be quite honest, he went to Portsmouth. Not because I think Portsmouth are a bad team at all, but I'm not necessarily sure they suit each other down to the ground. I mean, if you if you look at George Byers, he does possess championship quality. There's no doubt about that. As I was just saying, he came through the Swans Academy. He has the Swansea way sort of ingrained in him. He's comfortable in possession. He moves the ball quickly, likes to keep the ball on the floor. I think that was the key thing for me. I haven't watched tons of Portsmouth this season. Maybe you can correct me, but I think Portsmouth are perhaps a bit direct. You know, you've got Marcus uh, up front. You transition quick, but when pinned in a bit deep, you probably look to go long more than looking to play out frequently. I think Porter probably could have done, I think you mentioned this to me before, he probably could have done with someone to pick the ball up and drive. I'm not necessarily sure that's what buyers will bring exactly. I think you're probably more likely to see him play fast, penetrative passes through the midfield, through the space, rather than see him drive with it. Why he probably won't suit Porter perfectly, it'll be an excellent acquisition for you, I have no doubt about that. It is a strange thing, because um, at first, before the transfer window, both of us didn't really mark earmark centre midfield as a position possibly to strengthen to a certain extent, because Andy Cannon and Tom Naylor have been the centre mid pairing throughout the entire of the season, and and re- argue there's there's no reason to drop them because they've been playing that well. Um, do you think Briars came with a um, like a guarantee of first team football, or do you think he'd be willing to fight for his place? And um, I don't know a great deal of Kenny Jacket, despite the use of manager swans. I he doesn't come across as someone who'd guarantee game time to me personally, but what I'll say about Byers is I'm sure he'll back himself, especially at League One level. Um, you mentioned Naylor as well. I think he's a captain, right? So, you know, captains don't typically um, get dropped from the team, from what I've seen of Cannon. I think, I think the only player he would replace is Cannon, even though he's played really well. He's one of the best ball winners in the league. He drives play. He's able to, again, transition very quickly when Portsmouth from the counter-attack and is, usually brings the ball out of defensive areas. But arguably, one of the things that might get Cannon dropped is sometimes a lack of creativity. I know people harp on about, oh, he doesn't score any goals or he doesn't set up any goals. That is still a factor. So do you think if Briars can bring the defensive and the counter-attacking style of game 
and the goals and assists on top, do you think he'll actually start? Yeah, I do think he'll certainly hope he's going to start. I do think he needs to start the quality he has. I, I haven't watched um, Cannon a great deal from what I have seen of him. I do like him as well. You could also see a change of shape. I mean, you've primarily gone with a 4-4-2 this season. You're going to need depth, even if you do stick with that. But you could uh, switch the 4-2-3-1 of Byers in the attack in midfield role. That is a position that he played, maybe not so much at senior level, but when he was younger in the academy. I- I'd hope he gets into the first team ahead of the midfield pair. And you have, again, I don't claim to have watched him a great deal. But you, you have to understand he's he's had a lot of championship experience. Go back to 18-19 season under Graham Potter. He did get into the first team by the second half of the season. He had a consistent run of games and he played relatively well. Under Steve Cooper last season, before he got injured, Swansea struggled a fair bit. I think Byers didn't necessarily emerge with a great deal of credit. That wasn't just down to him. That was just because the entire team, basically, they weren't in a cohesive unit at all. They weren't flowing like they were the season before. So I think it would be quite a drop-off for him to go from playing regularly in the Championship before that big injury had to his groin to then going down to League One and not featuring. So I'd, I'd expect him to start regularly once he gets fit, at least. It's interesting because we were talking then about, you know, I asked you directly about him being a driving midfielder. Can he get the ball forward? But I think the difference is that Tom Naylor is very much more for Pompey, the player who will, who will cover at the back. He will, he will sit in front, of, in front of the back four. He will get forward a bit. But it's primarily his job is to be defensive-minded as such. So when you you would think about him really being paired with with Byers, wouldn't you, in that situation? I don't think Byers is going to necessarily want to be the player who who sits back and just mops up in front of the defence. I don't think that's necessarily utilising his skill. Um, would you say though that with with Byers, we've got somebody who can be creative in front of in front of that, so he can be the guy who who pulls the strings, you know, the sort of the playmaker in the middle. Yeah, definitely. That 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 is what you brought him in to do. That is his skill set. He is a very creative player, I'd say. I mean, I think the problem possibly for Pompey is that from what I've seen of them, the midfield don't always get high enough up the pitch to get possession. You do transition quickly and you'll have Marquis up there and the other attackers forming around them and the midfield don't often get up into uh, support in time. Um, one thing I'd say is that what he'll probably give you now is that link between midfield and attack that maybe you don't necessarily have as such. Um, going long, I mean, with the players you have in your squad at League One, you, you'll you pick up results as you have done this season. But having buyers in there now, I think you will be able to possibly have more possession in games if you wanted to gain a bit more control. So uh, when you go back to youth level, when he played in a number 10 role, he had 10 goals and 10 assists in the last season before he stepped up to senior level in that number 10 role. Even though he hasn't really played that advanced as he's got to the senior game, he's got it in his locker. Definitely think if you give him the platform to perform in the final third, he'll deliver. I think that Kenny Jackie, for instance, has always been known at Pompey to play a lot more of a direct approach of football. You know, one up top, play through that target man, get the ball forward quickly, etc. I think more recently he's had to mix it up a bit and Pompey been employing a little bit more and they're always better when they employ a high press and the, the quick players, you know, the likes of Williams, Harness, etc., Curtis and stuff, attack from the front and press from the front. If Pompey can establish themselves in this sort of system with buyers in the middle, do you think that would benefit him rather than bypassing him the midfield and the centre? Yeah, definitely. Because to be completely honest, I don't see any point in bringing him in if the ball's just going to be flying over his head to Marquis anyway. Um you you have a real quality player here, and I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. I haven't looked into too much if, if Portsmouth realised or the Portsmouth fan base realised how good he is. I mean, he was starting regularly in the championship for us before the injury, and that was a championship team going for a playoff place. It wasn't a championship team struggling to stay in the league or anything like that. I mean, I certainly think if Portsmouth adapt the way they play, that this could be an integral signing to make sure you cement the top six place. I'm, I'm not sure how you're looking for automatics. I mean, the league's ridiculously tight to the moment. I've had a glance at it, League One. It's really hard to call. But um, yeah, yeah, certainly. I think that Jacket may have to look at adopting the st- adapting the style, sorry, around buyers because I, I'm not sure the current setup will utilize him to the best of his abilities. That's what we want to hear. That's what we want to hear, Ben. <laughs> We want, to, we, want to, we need a player to come in and just and just invigorate the team, you know, ignite it when it's needed, add a bit more quality and class in the centre. We were talking about having, you know, a player of championship quality, Freddie, when we looked at players in our transfer window special. We didn't think we were necessarily getting a young, talented player who has played 35 games in the championship the season before. 
So this is something for me that Jacket's going to have to really accept and just bring him in, give him a good chance. And I think Swansea fans will want to see him get a good chance as well, which he which he deserves. And I think he'll get it as well at the backlog mm. of games. Uh, we've had a couple of postponements now. We probably have more if the weather's bad. And then obviously with COVID, you don't know how many games are going to get postponed or rearranged. So bringing in by his depth-wise is exceptional. Getting a championship player always effectively a championship player in the midfield. If he changes to the 4-2-3-1, I'm still worried due to the due to whenever we see the 4-2-3-1, it's rigid and structured, which doesn't suit buyers by the sounds of it at all. So um, I think the only thing we'd have to see him in is that 4-4-2. It would be harsh on Cannon if he's dropped, because obviously he can't drop Tom Ney. There he's the captain. He's been the best player this season. So it might be a bit rough for him. Yeah, I mean, if that four-two-three-one is rigid, like you say, that reminds me a heck of a lot of last season under um, under Greenpot under Steve Cooper. We went with a four-two-three-one for the vast majority of the season, and both of the uh, central midfielders were deep. We couldn't play out, and in the end, we did have to just kind of go long to the wide areas. And I really don't want to see that because you, you, you know you, you have a quality side. You do have a quality side. And if you like, now that you have that, this was a key element that maybe you didn't expect to get. Now that you've got him, I think there's a real opportunity that needs to be seized. Was the gap between the midfield and the striker very high? Because last season when it was really bad, Marcus was basically playing like a target man on his own. No, it wasn't even much of a gap. I think our entire team were just pinned into our own half. And in the end, we would just, would just have to go long. We didn't necessarily create the right angles, uh, create the right space in the play out. Um, pro- we were probably a bit too de- uh, defensively conservative last season until after lockdown. But obviously, Bayer's got injured just before that. So he never really featured when we had the formation switch to the three at the back and started playing well. So that, that that's another reason why I don't really think we've seen him kick on. And even I didn't want to see him go out alone. It's the truth of it. I mean, currently we're playing a formation with three quite functional, maybe not always functional, but deeper midfielders. And we only really have four fit, like recognisable midfielders fit. So even though he wouldn't have been playing much, he would have given us the necessary depth to carry on with the momentum that we built this season he does need minutes I know I, I, I you know it speaks volumes for how good he is I was sorry to see him go out because he probably wasn't even going to kick a ball it's the truth of it he probably wasn't going to get on the pitch in the league Is there anything in particular that we've spoke about or haven't spoke about even about George that we should we should have done? Possibly that he's got unrealised potential I mean I, I realise he's 24 now but if you go back all the way to when he was playing youth football. If you look at the Swansea team he was playing in in the youth academy, he played alongside Joe Roden, established himself at Swansea, established himself for Wales. He's gone on to Spurs for 15 million. Ollie McBurney scored 22 goals in the championship, gone on to Sheffield United for 20 million. He played with Dan James, Man United for 18 million. He played with Connor Roberts, Wales' first choice right back, quite possibly going to the Premier League in the summer if we don't get promoted. And the point I'm leading two years last season, he actually won player of the season for the under-23s. I mentioned earlier he was playing in that number 10 role, had 10 goals, 10 assists in all competition. He was recognised as the best player out of that bunch. And all those players I've just mentioned have gone on to those heights. I'm not really sure we've seen that from Bayers yet. That's what I'm really hoping comes out of this lone move. I'm, again, I'm not sure it's necessarily the perfect the perfect club for him in terms of the style, but you know, Pom- Portsmouth are a really big club. Portsmouth are playing in a competitive league, are playing, even though the style isn't necessarily similar, you know, that you're doing well. You're in a promotion push. I feel like playing regularly in an environment like that, not trying to gain and then maintain a winning mentality, that that's only going to benefit him. And he said he wants to come back and he wants to feature in Steve Cooper's plans after the loan. He only has um, one year left in his contract. I think if we go up to the Premier League, which could quite possibly happen, that, that that may be it for him. But if we're in the championship, I'm hoping he comes back and uh, does well for us. So if if this scenario is, and you know, Pompey fans are going to hate me for saying this, but say a scenario where Swansea get promoted, and I hope you do get promoted. As I said, you're my, you're my championship girlfriend team after I bet on you for the start of the season and uh, to get promoted. And then Pompey managed to somehow get promoted to the championship. Very much this is an if scenario. Would that be a scenario where maybe we might be able to keep hold of George Byers? Uh, yeah, I don't see why not. I think it would have to be a buy because I'd be surprised if he signs a new contract. But I, I can't see him fetching a massive fee in the market, if I'm honest. I, I don't think he's ever really had any interest from bigger clubs. But that's not to say he's not a bad player. It's just that he's at the level where he probably should be at. 
yeah, I, I, I don't see why not an option. What sort of fee you, you come up with? I know ever since, um, obviously we went into administration all those years ago, and then you uh, got sold to the trust that you have, or community trust, fans trust, whatever it is, and uh, you've been a bit more conservative in the market since then. But I, I personally think he'd probably command a seven-figure fee, even with a year left on his deal. I'm not talking like five million, but maybe more like around the one, two, three million pound mark, depending on how well he does. What's your record signing? Was it Marquis? Was it that one point uh, two? Yeah, the, the, he was the only recent player he bought for a lot of money. It was about 1.5, was 1. it you? 1.75 million is what being said. Yeah, the time. highest since Eric Husklep in 2011. So However, I don't think the club are actually averse to spending that money on a midfielder to... You know, if they're going to cement the team in the centre and, and be that playmaker, you know, we, we signed players around that, haven't we? Marcus Harness, eight fifty, I think it was, eight hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, about that. If we get promoted to the championship, that sort of money is fine. That, that's what it comes down to. And again, we're not we're not owned by the the fans now. We got bought out sort of four years ago um, you know, by private owners, as we've been talking about earlier on. So we and we've got the money. The Eisens have the money, and I think if we go up to the championship, they would be spending more in there around the two two million pound mark maybe for a central midfielder. They're not spending yeah. that in League One if we get for no. if we don't get for uh, no. Not sure. No. It's a championship point here. And I'm sure people listening to me are going to say that's not going to happen to you. But there we are. Yeah, I mean I guess the only problem is if he does too well for you, then he may have other interests. Because they I mean apparently there are other interested clubs in the championship to have him on loan this time round. And um obviously he just wants to play regularly, which is probably why he wanted to move down and, and hope he can cement a start in spot. So um yeah, it's all if buts and maybes of the truth of it, it. But if that scenario does play out, I, I really don't see why not. I don't think he's, I, I, I don't think he's got his heart set on playing Premier League football. I think he's realistic. You know, if he, he knows he's fifth choice now, we're probably going to strengthen if we do go up as well. So I, I don't think he'd really feature in the plans in the Premier League squad. If I'm honest, so you know, it could happen. I'll have to wait and see. Ben, cheers coming on the podcast, mate. Can you tell where the listeners can find you? Um, if anyone wants to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at JackArmy underscore. I tweet a lot about Swansea and some other times about random football nonsense. So if anyone wants to look into that, then I'd be grateful. Yeah, sweet. Now, definitely check out Ben's stuff, um, especially you guys who like analytics as well. I was just going to point out, um, I forgot to ask actually, Ben, about Jamal Lowe. He's, uh, apart from, you know, tearing another one of Cardiff, etc., which is always great to see. Um, how's he getting on? playing Yeah. He's doing brilliant. I mean, what I will say is a lot of the fans took an immediate dislike into him and I was very annoyed just watching it unfold and that wasn't because he was playing bad. He wasn't playing bad at all. But a lot of fans just look at the straight data outputs on paper, goals and assists, what have you, and he had two goals in his opening 17 games for us. His performances were good. You know, I, I've never, st- I actually think he's one of the best players in the championship press and off the ball. In the the attacking third, the amount of times he dispossesses the opposition, puts them under pressure, forces them to go long, it, it really is remarkable to see. And he was doing all that. He was doing all that in the 17 games, but he missed so many easy one-on-one setters. You, you know, I, I hate to put it bluntly, but they, they were big chances that realistically shouldn't be missing. But the truth is, I was never going to last. And after the Cardiff game, he uh, bagged two goals, one of which one goal a month. His confidence went through the roof. He's had seven goals in seven games. He went on a run of seven goals in seven games since then. His performances have stayed. You know, they have actually improved the the, the other aspects to his game as well. I, I mean, I feel bad for Wigan in all this. I mean, £800,000, we really took advantage of them uh, because they were in financial trouble and they realised if we didn't, someone else was going to. But um, nah, for £800,000... Fuck Wigan. <laughs> I feel bad for us. We had a sell-on clause, but because because Wigan chopped him off cheap to you, you didn't get any money for him. Okay, I feel bad for you as well then. But no, eight, eight, no 800k, it, it has gone under the radar, definitely, because he's actually outscored Andre Ayew playing in the same position. And Ayew does a lot more for us. I mean, he, he kind of just drifts wherever there's space. He drops in a lot. He's just as important for us in creating as well as scoring Ayew. But um no, he has been a very, very good acquisition, and he's. I do think as well, if we go up to the Premier League, he'll feature regularly. So that'll be quite a story for him, considering he was only a PE teacher like what was it four or five years ago, or something dumb like that. Nah, it's good to hear. I'm a big fan still. But Ben, cheers again, mate. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll speak soon. Oh, thank you. Thanks again, Ben, for coming on the podcast. And I've got to say, Andy, if Andy Cannon gets a knock. 
and George Bias comes in, I'm pretty excited to see what he's got. And I think he's got to be the next up out of the midfielders we've got. Yeah, I think so. He's had positive reviews from everywhere I've looked. And it's very difficult to walk into the Pompey team at the moment for the reasons we've just covered. But again, we've already said how many games we've got coming up in the next three and a half weeks. You'd imagine he's going to be needed at some point due to either a little niggle, injury or a suspension. And from what other people have said who've seen him play more than us, Swansea, he's more than capable of coming in and filling in that role. So yeah, as you say, it's about squad depth and it's promising. Yes, he looks like a really good signing. Well, yeah. I mean, this is the guy who played 35 appearances last season for Swansea in the championship. Um, He was Swansea's under-23 player of the season, as we said before that. So... He's a player of real pedigree and real talent. Obviously, he's got over that niggly injury he had as well. So I expect him to come in. And if if you do see a drop-off in form from someone like Cannon or he gets injured or whatever happens to him, and let's hope he doesn't, um, George Byers will be there to step in. All right, so you guys messaged in, and I said to you, before we get into the Plymouth section, should Pompey remain unchanged versus Plymouth after a fantastic 3-1 win against Charlton we just spoke about? Now, I was going to think this would be a good segment for me and Andy to talk about, but if I'm honest, most of you will agree with, yes, you should be, we should be keeping it the same. So, Chris Gerrard, no one deserves to be dropped. Yep. Darren Keane, don't change it. Keep the lineup the same. Uh, DJB, harness or Hawula for Harrison because they have the energy and can hit a barn door with two, from two feet. Bit harsh on Harrison maybe there, mate? What do you think, Andy? I think there's an argument for the starting harness up top. But I think the only way we're going to see the best of Harrison is to give him game time. So I've got no issue with Harrison starting up top. I, I do think unchanged is fair. System that worked. We've beaten a decent Charlton side. So I don't I don't see any issue with giving him the game time that he needs for, to hit form because we're going to need that depth as we move through the season. Yeah. But I mean, I do actually agree that I would like to see Harness up front at some point as well. Yeah, Now's yeah. not the game for it. Let's let's start Harrison again. Um, there's plenty of time to get Marcus back up front, but I do understand that. Lorraine Wells messaged in. She says 100%. She wants to keep it the same. Will Frisk messaged in. Cheers, mate. He says, only question for me is if Harness comes back in for one of the two forwards, most probably Harrison. Other than that, same for me. And that includes Bolton and Daniels. So he agrees there with DJB. And we've just covered that. Hayden Miller messaged in. He says, I'm just reading it through because he's laid it out. Yep, that's used the same as well. So again, we've got a consensus. I want to point this out, Andy. This is a podcast with Pompey fans messaging into us with a consensus. Maybe I should have asked a different question or is that positive to see? Let's go with the positivity. Harry Wood messages in and he says, the same except he wants to have harness up front as well. And Jonathan Weaver messages in, cheers lads, and he says, unchanged except harness up top with Big John. So far, Andy, everyone wants to keep it unchanged apart from three or four people who want harness to play up front. Again, we agree with that from a level of, I think he would be a good striker up front with John. Those two look absolutely mustard together, let's be honest. But for now, let's let Harrison have a go. See how he does for a couple of games. Um, and if not, swap him out. I think Hi. so. I mean, I think we're possibly going to see rotation. You could see Curtis coming in for Williams potentially and playing him on the right. I, that's the only one I could see as a as a plausible. I again, I agree. I want to see Harness play up top again at some point, but I do think yeah, Harrison needs game time, and I think we'll enjoy Harness coming off the bench as an impact sub because he came on and got an assist pretty quickly in the Charlton game, didn't he? So he's shown he can do that role. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub One Hundred. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. Right, let's get on to the Plymouth game, Andy. Let's move this on. Plymouth, one of our favourite teams to talk about on the podcast all the time. The Green Army, they're a team that I hate a little bit less since Derek Adams has gone, let's be honest. You know, there's not really anything there with Plymouth. They're just Their managers are a complete prat. So Plymouth had quite an interesting... January transfer window. Um, they've done they've done pretty well to keep hold of their striker, Luke Jepcott. I think that's how you say his name. I always get that wrong. He's League One's top scorer at the moment with 14 goals. He's a Wales under 21 international, which is why Andy's doing some little like fist pump, you know, celebrating him. Um, Nottingham Forest, I know we're after him in January. Uh, the Athletic reported that in the press at the time, although they didn't make a bid in the end, apparently, keeping tabs on him. You can imagine you've got a young striker there, 21 years old. 
He's ripping the goals in. I think he's got 20 since the start of 2020 himself. As well as being the top scorer in League One, it's not only just that, it's the prolific level in which he scores as well, Andy. So he scores one goal every 105 minutes that he's played, uh, which is the best out of in the top eight in the in the league. Not only is he the top scorer in League One, he's also the most prolific scorer in League One. He's got 14 goals, as we said, but he also scores a goal every 105 minutes. That's pretty impressive. Just to compare that with someone for people who, who are thinking, what does the hell does that mean, Hugh? John Marcus has got 11 goals and he scores one every 171 minutes. So that just shows how prolific the young striker is up front for Plymouth. Although Plymouth themselves don't have anyone else who can score goals, apparently. I think Harding, I think is third, he's got three goals, which makes him the next top scorer on the Plymouth side, which just shows what a drop-off that is from the rest of it. They've had a couple of players go out as well. Frank Newborn, I know, is gone. Uh, Scott Watton is gone. Uh, Dom Telford is gone as well. But these are all players who pretty much were squad players, not getting a lot of games with Plymouth. Newborn and Watton have gone out to loan to Colchester United and Wigan as well. So these are players, they've got rid of some dead wood and they brought in one player who I've actually heard a little bit about, Andy, which is Sam Woods. He's a right back, plays for Palace. He's got four senior caps for Crystal Palace as well. He's pretty good. He's there under 23s captain. He can play holding midfield, if not, as well as right back. So be interested to see where they play him because Plymouth play a 3-5-2 formation. They play the wing-back formation that Andy was talking about, which is very important that those wide players or wing-backs get forward on the overlap, create crosses. And I believe they've got jo- um, Joe Edwards on that side. He's he's a pretty handy player, actually. He's a good finisher, even when he gets given opportunity as well, which is interesting for a, for a right back. But... Plymouth overall have made some savvy signings. They shipped out some, basically some deadwood and they've brought in some players who can really strengthen the team as well. Andy, what are, you, what are your feelings on Plymouth? Are they a team now we should be fearing? Good form? I mean, they're coming into the game off the back of a draw with Accrington Stanley, who obviously are better sides in the division. So yeah, they're, they're not a challenge to take lightly for um, I think Woods is likely to be in the back three, isn't he? He's likely to play centre-half, I think, from what I've read. Um, I don't know if he can play at right-back as well. I thought he was signed in a centre-half role. He's a right-sided defender is what I read. So that that you're probably right. He's going to be a... I think he plays, I think he plays on the right-hand side of the centre-back position. So they have um, Poku, Woods, and then Watts on the, on the other side. He plays on the left. I'm not sure who the third will be. Uh, yeah. potentially, but that's where I'd expect to see him play. Plymouth are just, oh, they're just a, they're just a League One team. Like, I know, the, who, I can't remember who it was we were speaking about a few weeks ago. We, oh, it was Fleetwood, where we said, oh, they're just an average League One team. And I don't want to tempt fate, because just because a team is an average League One team doesn't mean we're going to beat them. I'm not saying it in a disparaging way at all, but they're just a League One team. And I've got very little interest in them, at least when Adams... McCormick and like Sonny Bradley, there was a bit of stuff to banter with and a bit of gossip and things to dislike. Whereas now, I mean, their Twitter admin's a bit of a, what's the polite word of putting it? Their Twitter admin, your word's not mine. Um, I'm on my work account. Um, (laughs) Their Twitter admin seems to think he's God's gift to comedy. But other than that, um, I don't really have strong feelings about them, except I've got Dockyard Derby muted on Twitter. Other than that, I, they're just not a team I've got a strong opinion on. Um, but I do think that, obviously, they're in a bit of form. But again, if we're looking at automatics, they're the sort of team we should should be beating over the course of the season. They're in the bottom half. I know they're unbeaten in, what, f- at least five? Is it five they're unbeaten in? Yeah, at least five in the league, um, including, yeah. draws, uh, you know, including a draw against Aki, a win away at Sunderland, uh, and then recently a win at... Uh, Swindon as well but you know yeah but everyone wins at Sunderland don't they it's not these days that's not a big uh, claim anymore that's an expectation right yeah exactly it's bare minimum but yeah they've had some decent results they're not to be taken lightly it'll be interesting to see what formation we line up with to sort of counteract their their starting formation because we know that Kenny likes running the gate opposite formation I think that's what we did against Hull we lined up 4-2-3-1 I think to negate their 4-2-3-1 and it just didn't go well for us we but cannot he, do that in this game I sincerely Plymouth, hope not Plymouth play 3-5-2 yeah. 
yeah and they stay to the death they stay even what their players say is they stay true to their system so they're a team that play one way they play the same way each time and we need to make sure that we play our game and don't let Plymouth get in their rhythm so yeah we need to get on top of them we press the back three we don't let them get the ball out quickly you've got two strikers up front you need to make sure you mm. don't get them bypassed completely and the ball played wide through us. So probably need to press from the front, get on top of Plymouth, get a goal early, and then just keep going for it. Because Plymouth leak goals, but also will score them. So you need to get on top of them, score some goals, kill them off. Yeah, I I completely agree. I don't think we should be matching formation. I should add as a as a point. I think if you try and match the opposition's formation, it's putting you on the defensive from the start because you're playing a system you're not used to just to try and negate the opposition system. And that's one of the big issues I had with the whole game was that we were the home team and we went in trying to counteract their game plan rather than using our own game plan. So yeah, I don't want to see that happen uh, in this game. And I agree, yeah, the high press in theory should work against the 3-5-2. And uh, yeah, I'm going to back us to get a result. I mean, obviously we're not generally as good at home at the moment as we are away from home, but that's partially because the away record is ridiculously good fair play credit where it's due um but I look I look at their lineup and again famous last words but I'm not that scared by it I mean obviously Jeff got is a a goal a real goal scoring threat but I feel like if you looked at their team on paper was it Kerry they had Kerry Graham Kerry that's it isn't it yeah I think um yeah. until what was it last year he disappeared off to somewhere warm I think it was Cyprus he went off to they Bulgaria wasn't it it Bulgaria okay that's like less that. of a that's less of a tourist destination mm. um oh yeah no you're right I think it was yeah yeah Bulgaria is not where I would want to go on my holidays but yeah he just put up there on and players like that are all the x-factor players I don't really see that in their team so if you can keep him fairly quiet big if he did score in their last league game so you know he's due one off so hopefully this is the one of his little rests from uh from netting I mean, the midfield player I'm going to say to look out for, for me, is Connor Grant. He's a good crosser of the ball. He can shoot from distance as well, so he likes to cut inside. He's got seven assists and three goals this season as well, so you can see that, you know, we need to try and cut the supply off for him. He plays on the wide left for them. So if we can stop their wing-backs getting forward, Andy, press from the front and get territory in their half, I think we're going to win this this game. I'm going to put it out there. So we're going to go for the score prediction time. And do you know what, Andy? For once, I'm going to go first. So I'm going to give us a 3-0 win. I think Plymouth are a... They're, they're one of those teams, as Andy said. They are a run-of-the-mill League One team. They are a very well-drilled run-of-the-mill League One team. But if we're going to win this game, we're going to need to win it big. Plymouth do concede goals. Let's get the ball up forward. Let's press them from the front, turn it over, put them to the sword. They've got a new defender playing in the back three with a Poku, who's good. Other nobodies basically so let's get the ball forward let's score some goals 3-0 Marquez to get one of the goals up front for us I'm going to go Daniels and Raggett let's have two defenders doing it Daniels well. and Raggett shout so what free kick and a header from a dead ball presumably from Daniels golden assist there you are nice I'm going for a 2-0 win Hugh I'm so glad you asked I think Pompey will keep a clean sheet and I do think that there's just a bit too much quality in that Portsmouth lineup. Uh, compared to the Plymouth side. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Let's bring it on, Andy. Let's get this win under a belt. I'm excited. Beating Charlton. Scum is getting battered. Bring on Plymouth, bunch of pussies. Let's have it. <laughs> Until next time, play up Bombay. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!